This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This is episode 122, entitled, The Embodied Logos That Pitched His Tent, in John 1.14. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God, and about the humanity of Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. We are continuing our important exploration of the first 18 verses of the Gospel of John, known as the prologue of the fourth gospel. Our goal has been to situate the prologue in its Jewish context, specifically the context of Jewish wisdom traditions, in order to responsibly interpret the various things said about the Logos. We have been quite fortunate to see dozens and dozens of parallels with God's wisdom as it is portrayed in Jewish sources that predate the fourth gospel. Despite the fact that the overwhelming majority of specialists and commentators of the fourth gospel argue that Jewish wisdom tradition is the conceptual thought world out of which the prologue depicts the logos that was with God and in the beginning, many readers in the pews are unaware of this scholarly consensus, and some even refuse to wrestle with it in order that they can make the prologue into their own little happy hunting ground of theology. In our last episode, we began to study John chapter 1 verse 14, where God's personified Logos became the human Jesus. However, John 1.14 goes on and says quite a lot about the role and purpose of the man Jesus. There are three things that we would like to explore in this week's episode as we continue to work through John 1.14. The first thing we want to look at is how the human fleshly Jesus as the embodied Logos pitches his tent among us. The second thing we'll want to look at is how the human Jesus functions as the new temple in the narrative of the fourth gospel. And third, we want to ask, how is associating a personified attribute like the Logos with God's glory going to fit within Jewish wisdom traditions? So we'll be looking at how the Logos pitched his tent, how the embodied Logos functions as a new temple, and the aspect of glory related to this embodied Logos temple. What was the author of the prologue trying to convey to his readers about the role of the human Jesus, who functioned as the embodiment of God's revelatory Logos? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at the word that pitched its tent. 
So it'll be important for us to read John 1.14 in its entirety. So let's look at this passage. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the unique one from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John chapter 1, verse 14. Now we see here that the word became flesh, God's personified speech, the creative and powerful speech of God became embodied as the human Jesus. We looked at this in detail in last week's episode, but that is not where the verse ends. It talks about how this fleshly person, this human person, dwelt among us. But dwelt among us is not the best reading of the Greek here. The verb skinoo in Greek means to pitch a tent. It means to tabernacle. And so we can see that the author of the prologue is trying to say that when the word became flesh, it tabernacled among us. It pitched its tent among us. And immediately we are in the thought world of God's tabernacling presence with the tabernacle and, of course, later with the various renderings of the Jerusalem temple. Now, I pointed out last week that there is a very important parallel to this passage in Sirach chapter 24, specifically where Lady Wisdom is sent by the Creator. Notice how Lady Wisdom is not the Creator. She is distinct from the Creator. But Lady Wisdom as a personification of God's wise interaction with the world came to earth and she also pitched her tent among Israel. Let's read that passage from Sirach chapter 24, verses 7 through 8. This is Lady Wisdom speaking in the first person as a highly personified attribute of God. Quote, Among all these, I sought a resting place. In whose territory should I abide? Then the creator of all things gave me a command, and my creator chose the place for my tent. He said, Make your dwelling in Jacob, and in Israel receive your inheritance. That's Sirach chapter 24, verses 7 through 8. So we could see that in the book of Sirach, written in the year 180 BC, so nearly 300 years for the writing of the fourth gospel, we have evidence of these Jewish wisdom traditions where God's personified wisdom says things that clearly are picked up by the writer of the prologue. In Sirach 24, we can see that God's wisdom, which is a personification of God's wise interaction with the world, is sent by the Creator to make her tent among Jacob. She makes her dwelling among Jacob. And it's really interesting when we look at the Greek of Sirach 24, because the word for tent is the noun skinin, which is the equivalent to the verb skinoo that we see in John 1.14. And in fact, we have the noun and the verb in Sirach 24. We have the noun skinin, and we have the verb make your dwelling 
in that same passage. And so we see a personification of God's attributes being sent to pitch her tent among the people. And then we see in John's gospel, specifically in the prologue, to where a personification of God's attributes pitches his tent among the people of God. It's clear that John is writing within the conceptual matrix of Jewish wisdom traditions. Now, we can also look in the first century, not necessarily looking all the way back to the writing of Sirach, but also looking in the first century in the writings of Philo, a Greek-speaking Jewish writer and philosopher, who also talked about how Lady Wisdom functioned as coming to earth in God's tabernacle. This is what Philo says in his treatise on mating with the preliminary studies, verse 116. He says, And further on, Moses will speak of God's dwelling place, the tabernacle, as being ten curtains. Quoting Exodus 26, verse 1. For to the structure, which includes the whole of wisdom, the perfect number ten belongs, and wisdom is the court and the palace of the all-ruler. So in that passage, Philo talks about God's dwelling place, the tabernacle, using the Greek noun skene that we've already seen, and talks about how this dwelling place of God, the tabernacle, flat out is the whole of wisdom. Wisdom is the court. Wisdom is the palace. Their wisdom has come down to earth, and she has pitched her tent in the tabernacle. Philo also talks about this theme in his treatise, Allegorical Interpretations. Look at what he says here in chapter 3. Philo says, Do you not see that also when Moses received the tabernacle from God, and this tabernacle is wisdom? That's Philo Allegorical Interpretation, chapter 3, verse 46, where again, Philo interprets wisdom as being more or less identified with God's tabernacle, using again the Greek noun skene. So there is a variety of evidence demonstrating that within these Jewish wisdom traditions, that God's wisdom came to earth and God's wisdom pitched her tent as the tabernacling presence of God. But again, God's wisdom is a personification. It's not a separate person, a separate conscious person alongside God. It's a personification. And so John's Gospel depicting a personification of God, the Logos that was with God and came and pitched his tent among us as the human Jesus, this has to be read within the context of Jewish wisdom traditions. Now, as soon as we start talking about the tabernacle or the tabernacling presence of God, we are in the thought world of tabernacle and temple. So this moves us to our second point. Our second point today is how Jesus functions as the new temple in the narrative of the fourth gospel. The fourth gospel, highlighting a major New Testament theme, insists that the man Jesus is the true locus 
of God's activity among humanity. This would have been especially potent after the year 70, when the Jerusalem temple was destroyed by the Roman general Titus. While Jewish communities offered various alternatives to a central temple in the years following the year 70, including a renewed focus on studying Torah, the community out of which the fourth gospel was produced offered forth Jesus as the Messiah, acting as the new temple presence. John chapter 1 verse 14 introduces the embodied logos and as we've seen the embodied wisdom. The embodied logos and the embodied wisdom function as the human temple and this human temple reappears frequently in the fourth gospel as a major theme. And so John 1.14 is introducing this theme that the Logos that became flesh functions as this tabernacling presence, this new temple. And it would have been very controversial in the first century, especially for Jewish readers that thought of the temple as the place where God lived. It was God's address. If you were to get a letter from God, it would say that it was sent from the Jerusalem temple. That's where God effectively lived. But the writer of the fourth gospel continues to emphasize that Jesus is this new temple, the new locus of God's activity on earth. Let's look at how this reappears in a variety of passages within the narrative of the fourth gospel. John chapter 2, starting in verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So, when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Here, Jesus, sitting in the actual Jerusalem temple, points to himself as the new temple, speaking of his own body as the temple that, after it's destroyed, will be raised up in three days. And we can see that the disciples believe this. And of course, in the narrative, if the disciples believe what Jesus said, then the readers presumably should believe what Jesus said and honor Jesus as the true temple, despite the fact that Jesus was speaking in a physical brick-and-mortar temple. So Jesus as the new temple locus presence of God's activity on earth was deliberately set in conflict with the Jerusalem temple and the authorities therein. Let's look at how Jesus deals with this temple with the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, starting in verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. 
But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. And here, Jesus is having a dialogue with the Samaritan woman, specifically about the location where people ought to worship. Is it on Mount Gerizim or is it on Mount Zion, Jerusalem? But Jesus says, no, it's not necessarily in Jerusalem. It's not on this mountain nor on that mountain where you're going to worship the Father. In fact, the hour is coming and now it's already here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the conversation moves away in a very interesting fashion from the location where God is to be worshipped, the location of the temple, to the identity of Jesus. I think that's very interesting. As he's talking about the Jerusalem temple and the place where people should worship the Father, the conversation naturally moves to the identity of Jesus as the anointed one, as the Messiah, whom Jesus plainly claims to be. Jesus here is pointing to himself as the new temple location. He is the place that functions as the new locus of God's activity on earth. But he does so not as the Father, but Jesus does so as the one who is anointed by the Father. He is the Christ. He is the anointed King. But the identity of Jesus here is contrasted from the location of the Jerusalem temple, which, at the time of the writing of the fourth gospel, that temple had been destroyed for probably two decades. Let's look in John chapter 7, starting in verse 14. Now, when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? John chapter 7, verses 14 through 15, where Jesus goes up into the temple in the midst of the feast, and Jesus draws people's attention unto himself as Someone who is a teacher, someone who is learned, someone who is educated, someone who has authorized speech, but specifically someone who is drawing attention away from the physical temple building and drawing attention onto himself as the new temple. There are a variety of other places we can look at. I just want to spend time in one more passage in John chapter 10, starting in verse 23. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. That's John chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, where, again, Jesus is in the temple 
now during the time of Hanukkah, during the winter, and Jesus is drawing attention to himself. And they're asking him, if you're the Christ, tell us. And Jesus says, hey, I've told you this, and I've demonstrated my works that I do in my Father's name, and these works are going to testify of me. Again, while Jesus was in the physical temple, Jesus is drawing attention unto himself as the new locus of God's activity on earth. This is a common theme in the Gospel of John, and it gets introduced in the prologue in John chapter 1, verse 14, where the embodied Logos pitched his tent among us, just as the embodied wisdom pitched her tent among the people of God in Sirach and Philo. Since John chapter 1, verse 14 portrays the new tabernacling presence of the Logos and wisdom in the person of the man Jesus, then the continued portrayal of Jesus as the new temple throughout the narrative of the fourth gospel further emphasizes wisdom Christology. Again, as the embodied logos or the embodied wisdom functions as the new temple, then these temple contrasts are further delineations of wisdom Christology in the gospel of John. Let's move to our third point that continues our train of thought on the temple. Point number three is exploring the theme of glory with God's personified wisdom. Now let's recall what John 1.14 says in regard to the glory of the Father. It says in John 1.14 that we beheld his glory, and that glory is from the Father. The human Jesus, as the embodied Logos and embodied wisdom, displays the glory that comes from the Father, according to John 1.14. And this fits well in the Jewish wisdom traditions where God's personified wisdom, Lady Wisdom, was frequently associated with God's glory. So I want to review some passages where God's wisdom as a personified attribute is associated with God's glory. Because in John 1.14, the word became flesh or wisdom became flesh and we beheld his glory, that glory which is from the Father. And of course, the tabernacling presence involved God's glory coming down into the tabernacle, Exodus chapter 40 and God's glory coming into the temple, 1 Kings chapter 6. So, let's look at passages to where God's glory is associated with God's wisdom, because this is an important point. Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 18 has Lady Wisdom speaking as personification in the first person, saying, quote, Riches and glory are with me, end quote. Proverbs 8.18 where Lady Wisdom is saying that glory is with her. Clearly, glory is associated with wisdom. In Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 25, it says that she, Lady Wisdom, personified, she is the breath of the power of God and a pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. 
That's Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 25. To our Lady Wisdom is a pure emanation of the glory of the Almighty. Just as we see in John 1, 14, to where the Logos that became flesh showed everybody the glory that is from the Father. Further along in Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 9, it says that she, Lady Wisdom, will guide me wisely in my actions and guard me with her glory. Wisdom of Solomon, chapter 9, verse 11, to where Lady Wisdom is going to guard me with her glory. Her glory gets personified as an actual guard. In the book of Sirach, which we looked at earlier in the episode, chapter 4, in verse 13, says, whoever holds her, meaning wisdom, whoever holds wisdom fast inherits glory because glory is with wisdom. She can give glory and she can give it to an heir. Sirach chapter 4 and verse 13 says, whoever holds wisdom fast will inherit glory. And Sirach chapter 6 and verse 31 says, you will wear her, you will wear wisdom like a robe of glory. Sirach chapter 6, verse 31. So there we have in Proverbs, Wisdom of Solomon, and Sirach, depictions of God's personified wisdom being closely associated with glory. And as we see in John 1.14, we have God's personified word closely associated with God's glory, the glory that's from the Father within a temple context. Prior to the writing of the fourth gospel, God's personified wisdom was deeply linked with his glory. In fact, Proverbs portrays Lady Wisdom as speaking in the first person, declaring that she possesses glory. So while John 1.14 states that the Father's glory is beheld by those who experience the embodied logos, or the embodied wisdom of God, we actually get a much-needed clue to unraveling a difficult passage in the Gospel of John. John chapter 17 and verse 5, which has Jesus saying, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John 17, 5. As the embodiment of wisdom which formerly possessed glory, according to Proverbs, Sirach, and Wisdom of Solomon, Jesus can speak of the glory that he had before the world was. Jesus here speaks in the continued existence of wisdom, being the human being that wisdom became. For the fourth gospel, wisdom did not cease to be, when it became flesh, because the human Jesus continues to function, to act, and speak as the wisdom of God throughout the narrative of the fourth gospel. Jesus saw his human life as a continuation of wisdom's mission and purpose. In other words, Jesus can speak of the glory he had with the Father because Jesus is the embodiment of Lady Wisdom, and Wisdom possessed the glory in Jewish traditions. John chapter 17 and verse 5 is not suggesting that Jesus consciously pre-existed his birth. 
but rather that Jesus continues the purposes of wisdom as the new temple bearing the glory of God. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the prologue of the Gospel of John regards the human Jesus as the embodiment of God's personified word, the speech of God made flesh. In doing so, the embodied Logos is framed in terms of God's personified wisdom and is thus an expression of wisdom Christology, the understanding of Jesus in terms of God's wisdom. We first noted that the Logos became flesh and pitched his tent among us. And this expression is what Jews, like the author of Sirach and Philo, were saying in regard to God's personified wisdom. Lady Wisdom pitched her tent among Israel, and she was associated with the tabernacle. The very same language was used of God's personified wisdom coming to earth in order to function as the tabernacle. The fourth gospel portrays the Logos tabernacling among us in terms of Jewish wisdom traditions, where Lady Wisdom tabernacled among Israel, and this demonstrates that John 1.14 exhibits wisdom Christology, where Jesus is the climax and true embodiment of God's personified wisdom. I think that's a good definition of wisdom Christology. Jesus is the climax and true embodiment of God's personified wisdom. If you're interested in God's wisdom, don't look to the law of Moses. Look to the human being Jesus. Second, we observe that the human Jesus functioned as the new temple presence within the fourth gospel. And this thematic point would have been controversial in a gospel written in the aftermath of the Jerusalem temple's destruction in 70 AD. Those Jews who desire to interact with the temple should now look to the man Jesus, who is the embodiment of the same glory that filled the physical tabernacle and temple of the past. Lastly, we noted that the portrayal of the embodied Logos displaying the temple's glory from the Father in John 1.14 recalled many Jewish expressions of God's wisdom, which, when personified, possessed glory. Proverbs, Sirach, and Wisdom of Solomon all associated God's personified wisdom with glory. And it seems that John 1.14 also understood God's wisdom along the same lines. Since Jesus is wisdom that became flesh, this helps clarify how John 17 verse 5 can say that Jesus, the human embodiment of wisdom, possessed glory with God before the world was. The man Jesus continued to function as wisdom in the fourth gospel, displaying what scholars call wisdom Christology. Join us next week as we continue to progress through John 1.14, 
focusing specifically on how the human Jesus is described as the only begotten, or more accurately as the unique son, the monogenes son, in light of, guess what, Jewish wisdom traditions. Please consider supporting the Biblical Unitarian Podcast as it aims to promote the sound truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You may check out this episode's description for a PayPal link if you wish to donate. You can also support the podcast by sharing it on social media and rating and reviewing it on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening to us at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. My name is Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks take care.